We are back in Daniel. It's been a little while now, but we are back in the book of Daniel. And we're going to um, zip through Daniel chapter (laughs) 5. Yeah, I know, you guys are looking, going, yeah, zip through. Somebody as long-winded as that, he doesn't zip through anything. My wife would agree. So once again, just as review, this is the eighth sermon that we've done in the book of Daniel. The first two, we're talking about how is it that a Christian can stand strong in a secular society? Because Daniel and his friends were able to. So we we looked at their lives and decided, what is it about their lives that uh, we can learn from? Then in the next sermon, we discuss the difference between that which has absolute value and that which has relative value. In other words, those things that have value because God said so, and those things that change in value because they're just determined by people's opinions in general. Then we looked at some of the names in Daniel and how Daniel and his friends, how their names uh, were their identity, but their integrity was what uh, determined who they were. So we talked about identity and integrity, and we looked at some of the words that society has changed uh, meaning of to try and confuse um, or relativize that which is really important. We looked at some things like marriage, for example. And then we looked at the difference between revelation, when God tells us something, and reason, when we look at um, some statement that's either true or false, and we we think about it and try to determine whether that is uh, the truth. And... Uh, We asked the question and answered it, I hope. Is there something more powerful than human intellect? And I think that we came to the answer, absolutely. If God tells you a truth that there's no way you could have figured out, um, we can just thank him for that truth and accept it as the truth. The sixth message, uh, we went through the fact that the world cannot understand the believer. It's not that they don't understand or that they're trying. It's that when it comes to a, a Christian worldview, those that do not have the Spirit of God are not even able to understand the truths that God gives. And then <clears throat> finally, last time, we talked about how humanity is made in the image of God. And therefore, Uh, We don't behave like animals. We have um, the Spirit of God, the instructions from God on how to live a life that is fulfilled to His glory, not one that is just fulfilling our temporary pleasures. And we'll continue today by looking at the fact that the story does not end with Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So at the end of the last uh, message in Daniel, I I had a little interlude in there. I talked about the importance of the Reformation. But um, basically, at the end of the last image or the last message, um, Nebuchadnezzar's reign was coming to an end. But Nebuchadnezzar's reign is not the end of the story. And so what I'd like you to do this morning, it's a fairly lengthy reading, but I can't, 
I can't think of any um, way to to uh, pare down the reading to make it a shorter. I think we need to read all of chapter 5 of Daniel. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to read the entire chapter. Another wonderful story. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father thank you, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. I love that. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. 
Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body went wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharzin. This is the interpretation of each word, Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's so much in this passage that we can look at. Help us, Lord, this morning to just glean the parts that um, you would have us uh, look at this morning by your spirit. Uh, We pray that you would open our eyes to this scripture, that we could see a way in this eternal truth to live our lives as followers of Christ in such a way that it would be Um, in influence to those that are not yet believers around us and, and through them even to the wider world. Thank you for the truth of your word that it stands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Belshazzar inherited the kingdom of Babylon from his father, Nabonidus. Nabonidus had seized the kingdom from a different young king, who had succeeded Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was followed by a young king. Then a fellow named Nabonidus took it over, and Nabonidus gave birth to a young man, Belshazzar, who became um, the king of Babylon. But Belshazzar didn't reign for long. There was a bunch of strange goings-on in and around Babylon. I'm not going to go through all the historical details, but we can estimate that Belshazzar reigned in the city of Babylon for about 10 years. His father, Nabonidus, didn't like Babylon. He he thought it was kind of too close to uh, the Medes and the Persians, so he went and took residence in another city and gave the rulership of Babylon over to Belshazzar. Well, by all accounts, Belshazzar was a horrible ruler, and uh, he lasted about 10 years. 
Do you remember when we first started looking at the book of Daniel? And we'll look at it briefly again. You can flip back to Daniel chapter 1. We'll read the first two verses. Remember how Daniel mentions that King Nebuchadnezzar took the vessels of gold from the temple of God? And I asked at the time, that seems like not that important of a detail. Well, sure becomes an important detail now. Daniel 1, 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Well, we encounter these treasures again here. Belshazzar decides he knows his city is besieged. It's completely surrounded, um, but he feels entirely safe. So he decides because it's festival time, he's going to have a giant feast in his pride. And part of this feast, he brings out um, some of these vessels of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Judah, and um, they drink wine from them and praise um, various gods. This is about 48 years, just to give you an idea, this is about 48 years after Nebuchadnezzar first took the items. 48 years, let's say 50 years later, half a century later, heals, here's Belshazzar, and he takes these vessels, has a party. When Daniel is summoned to the feast, I don't know if you're ready, Josiah, out of my curiosity, I thought, I wonder what the writing looked like on the wall. I wonder what it is that the finger of God inscribed in the wall. Just out of curiosity, I thought, it'd be neat to know what it actually looked like. So I went and found uh, the very closest thing that I could find. This isn't a sure thing. Um, this isn't uh, an absolute for sure. Um, there's debate whether the inscription would have been in Aramaic or in Hebrew. Um, and there's debate whether it would have been written in columns or whether it would have been written from right to left, such as the Aramaic and the Hebrew. They, they read this way, from your right to your left. Those of you that are left-handed would be like, why can't we all do that? So I'm not smearing my hand through the ink all the time. This is my best guess as to what God's finger wrote on the wall opposite the lampstand. So reading from right to left, mene, mene, you can see that word repeated, tekel, and the u works like kind of an and, and parzen or farzen. So that's kind of what appeared on the wall uh, opposite the lampstand. God's hand wrote it there, and of course, um, <laughs> the king's knees knocked together. This was not a normal occurrence. Something about this had his undivided attention. So when Daniel is summoned to the feast, what does he first say? O king, live forever like the queen did? Not at all. As a matter of fact, Daniel's attitude toward Belshazzar was so rude in terms of that time that it, he's actually fortunate that he wasn't just done away with right there. But of course, speaking for God um, and Belshazzar, knowing that this man um, held the power of knowledge over him, did nothing. He comes in, he basically says this, Belshazzar, you knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. 
you knew. He said, you knew that God had revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew. You knew all these stories, and yet you deliberately insulted the Most High God. That's in essence what Daniel said in front of the king. I don't think he was too concerned about whether his head stayed on his shoulders. He was elderly at this point, probably around the age of 80. Um, He really wasn't concerned. And so he told Nebuchadnezzar um, exactly what he thought. So if we look in verse 22, But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. Belshazzar was not ignorant. It wasn't like he was growing up in a void and he just did what was the natural thing. He knew what he was doing. So Daniel comes into the banquet hall. A thousand people are sitting there. I'm thinking that the party is somewhat subdued at this point. I think it went from revelry and partying to what is going on. Something is going on. And his eyes, Daniel's eyes, go to the writing on the wall. Mene, mene, teko, eupharzin. There's been some debate as a, why is it that people couldn't understand the writing? Well, even if they could read the writing, basically what was written there was um, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Well, that could mean a lot of things. That could mean a lot of things. I think that the brief lesson we can learn from this, and this is hearkening back to my last lesson, is God wrote his words across from the lampstand where everybody could see them. God's message was in a place where everybody had access to them, but the only one that could understand was the one filled with the Spirit of God. Notice in the scripture, it says very plainly that it was opposite the lampstand. God put it right out there in the light. You want to see God's words? There they are. You want to understand them? Then you have to know him. <clears throat> so Daniel's looking at this word, word, these words and he understood them right away. And he gives us the interpretation. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. He has weighed you in the balances and found you wanting, and this very night, your kingdom is going to be divided. So Daniel read what God had intended Belshazzar to know. Belshazzar weighed God in the balances and found the value at zero. This didn't affect, change, or diminish God in any way. Because there's nothing we can do to affect, change, or diminish God in any way. But then, God weighed Belshazzar in the balances and found him wanting. And it cost him everything. 
verse 30 in chapter 5. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So when Belshazzar weighed God in the balance and evaluated God's value at zero, it didn't cost God anything. But when God placed Belshazzar in the balance and found him wanting, it cost Belshazzar everything. It cost him all. The vessels strewn about the feast hall could have told Belshazzar where the source of true value was, but he ignored it. What gods did he praise? Tells us in verse 4, which gods Belshazzar was praising. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. What gods do men praise today? I submit to you that those that have not humbled themselves before the Most High God worship the very same gods Belshazzar worshipped. The gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Why do I think that? Well, it's not because I'm so smart. It's because God wrote it down in Romans. If you'll turn in Romans chapter 1, we find out that between the Babylonian kingdom and today, men have not changed. Men have not changed. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Speaking of unbelievers, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The same gods Belshazzar was worshiping. They had taken the vessels of gold from the house of God and worshiped their own gods made of material things We have done the same thing in our hearts today. Mankind is essentially unchanged. It is a desperate thing. And I don't use that word lightly. It is a desperate thing to take the very things God has created to point men to himself and worship them. And we think, yeah, those bad people. What about about me? What about you? What do you value above God in your life? Your house? Your car? Your child? The very things God has created to point to himself and we worship those things. So today, in our society, rather than gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, we might say quarks and leptons, bosons, protons, electrons, and neutrons. I just listed the fundamental particles. That which makes up all of the material world, we make that our God. We resist it, I think, as believers in the Most High God, but our society embraces material as the highest thing. It is, material is the ultimate reality. And I think as Christians, we need to be clearer about our testimony that the material things are just a shadow 
They're, they're, they're barely a shadow of the reality that we find in Christ. It is a desperate thing to take what God has created to point to himself and worship those things. And that's what we see in Romans 1. For those of you that might be going to college, to use the brains that God has given to smash a young person's faith in a transcendent God, that's serious. It's no different than Belshazzar using the vessels of gold from the house of God to worship his own gods that he made up. It's no different to take the brain that God has given you and use it to destroy a young person's faith in the transcendent God. That's serious business. It's so serious that Christ talks about it. He says, it would be better if you took a giant stone, tied it around your neck, and threw it into the deepest part of the sea. Then you lead one of these little ones away from me. That's our gentle Savior talking. When our gentle Savior uses words like that, we sit up and we take note. Two men were standing there. Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. Remember they renamed him? Belshazzar and Belteshazzar. There was only a T between them. But they represented the only two major worldviews there have ever been in the history of mankind. These two. Proud defiance of God and humble submission to God. And God demonstrated clearly what happens to those that pick either camp. Which camp do you stand in? Proud defiance of God? Material is the most important thing? Or humble submission to God? God, you know I don't. I submit. Finally, just to tie up, this hand that wrote on the wall wrote again about 600 years later the Gospel of John in chapter 8. This hand came down into the throne room in Babylon, wrote Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharzin. Your days are numbered. You have been weighed and found wanting, and I have divided your kingdom. I want to read, because this same hand wrote again, I want to read John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2 and through verse 11. Now, early in the morning, Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A lot of speculation has been made. What was Jesus writing in the ground? Well, let me throw in my two shekels worth this morning. I think he was writing mene, mene, teko, eupharsin. Mene, mene, teko, eupharsin. Not only to the woman, but to those that brought the woman before him. The same hand writing the same words in the dirt. The Bible doesn't say for sure. You can reject it. But I think the principle stands when we look at the words of Jesus. You, your days are numbered, woman. Your days are numbered. God has numbered your days. God has weighed you in the balance and found you wanting. Everything you hold dear is going to be divided. What was the difference? The difference was Christ himself. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. But I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt. It's the same fingers that wrote in the dirt. What does he say to the woman caught in adultery? In the very act of adultery? Neither do I condemn you. Do you see the heart of the Savior? who hated sin so desperately, but loved the sinner yet more. The heart of the Savior. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of the heart of Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and do whatever you want. Oh, wait a minute. Misquoted. Maybe I should read it. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When we sing the children's hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Have you done worse than this woman? What does he say? Neither do I condemn you. You have been weighed and found wanting. Your days are numbered. Everything you have is going to be divided. Everything earthly that you have is going to be taken away from you. But I am the difference. (laughs) I am the difference. Trust in me. That's the love of the Savior. And I think we see that love carried through Daniel into the life of our Savior. Um, And you can reject what I said about what he was writing in the dirt. I believe it, but the Bible doesn't say it explicitly, so I can't be dogmatic on it. But I think it shows us the heart of the Savior. Let's pray.